We are, yeah. As Rob said, we're continuing our emotionally healthy people theme this summer. And talking about being anxiety-free, which anxiety is one of the biggest challenges to being emotionally healthy. And I, just, I decided to look up a definition for anxiety. We'll start out with that this morning. Anxiety is, a f- and we all kind of know it, but here's a good definition. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Worry, nervousness, unease. Some of us just hearing this definition, the anxiety kind of starts to <laughs> rise, right? So we're going to take a minute and just uh, around your tables, as we like to do here, as we've got tables, um, we've got a couple questions. The first one is, what is the biggest cause of anxiety for you? And actually, I want you to, we have little slips of paper. Um, would you, just on your own, you don't, don't share this with anybody else this time. I mean, you can if you want to, but we want, I would like you to just grab one of the slips of paper and a pen, write down the number one stressor, the number one cause of anxiety. Um, write it down, and then once you have that, a couple of the guys are going to pick those up, and we're going to collect them and see what our top categories are, actually. So just go ahead and take a minute and do that. Yeah, did everybody get one? Everybody has a slip of paper? Just number one. Yeah, we don't want to hear the rest. <laughs> All right, I still see some pins going. Some of you are just kind of therapeutic, just getting it out there. Or not, maybe... Anxiety is continuing to rise. Hopefully not. Okay. Once you get that, just stick them on the front of your table or something. And Bo and Will are going to pick those up. Um, then I've got another question for you. For us. This is um, to discuss at our tables. And this is, like, this is honest. Honest answers, not church answers. Okay? Not like, okay, I'm in church. Say the right thing. But is God willing... To provide for us what we need. What do I honestly think about that? Is God willing to provide for us what I need? And the second part of that question is interesting. If so, if God is willing to provide for me what I need, is that provision conditional? Is his provision provision for me conditional on anything? So, go ahead. We'll take just like three, four minutes here, and talk about this at your table, see what you guys think about that. All right. Well, if your table was as prepared as mine was, I don't know if you need to listen to me, because they nailed it over here. Um, really insightful. I'm gonna not, we're going to be talking about this throughout the message, but I, I would be curious. I wish I could have sat in on all these table conversations because I think that question gets to the heart of what we believe about God and his provision for us. And, our under, and actually, it's essential in coming into an, exa- an anxiety-free life, and that, which is what God has for us. But anxiety is a huge issue. It's always been a huge issue. And in our culture today, 
it's becoming even more prevalent. And there's stats after stats that point to this. I read an article recently, it's called The Rise in Anxiety and Anxiety Disorders in the U.S. And just a little snippet from that, let's read this, it says, Our levels of anxiety have increased dramatically over the last 50 years. According to psychologist Robert Lee, the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Wow, is that scary or what? Uh, that sort of like fits, though, like what we see all around us. Just the anxiety levels are so high. That if that would have been the case in the 1950s, that would have been like, wow, you, you really need help. That, this is not normal. In, the, in its annual survey of students, um, the American College Health Association found a significant increase of undergraduates who were reporting overwhelming anxiety in the previous year. Um, so for in 2011, 50% of college students said they experienced overwhelming anxiety. And then by 2016, it was up to 62%. So they experienced overwhelming anxiety at some point in the last year. Um, and we could go on and on and on. It's just recently, in, again, in the university world, uh, in like college health centers, anxiety overtook depression as the number one reason that people are seeking help. It's, it, it's way up there. Material comfort and security may be higher than it used to be, but other prevailing issues like separation from extended family, loss of community and neighborhood, uncertain employment, threats of terrorism, uncertain futures, high medical costs, immersion in technology, and lack of emotional support are a few of the many contributing factors. As Leahy puts it, we live in the age of anxiety. We're a nation of nervous wrecks. And that's really true. And I think we see that around and on a personal level, if we're honest. We all know what it's like to, to deal with anxiety and to feel those pressures coming at us and to struggle with, man, how do I, how do I cope with this pressure, of whether it's financial or family? How am I going to pay for that? How, what's the uncertain future that I have um, coming? In fact, these are, here are the top four you guys wrote it, uh, listed. Number one was the fear of the unknown. Number two is a lack of confidence. Number three is a lack of control. And four is work and finances. So those are some very prevalent sources of, of, of anxiety for us. Um, we live in an age of anxiety. We've become a nation of nervous wrecks. One more question for you. This is just for you again. But I want you to answer this for yourself. On a scale of 1 to 10, how anxious are you? Let's look at like the last week. What was your average level of anxiety? One being least anxious, ten being totally anxious. What was the level of anxiety that you were at this last week? Okay, and then I'll ask you this. What level would you like to be at? If your number is higher, then I don't know. You, that's, that's odd. <laughs> Hopefully your number is, is lower. Um, now, it's important for us to realize that anxiety is a real problem. And, but it's also, and to deal with it honestly, but it's also important to realize that it doesn't have to be an all-powerful force that overwhelms us. And I think that's oftentimes how I hear it discussed, or just people talk about it. I think that's kind of our culture. I hear the phrase, like, I have anxiety. 
And it's almost that it's become so prevalent that it's like I have a big nose. <laughs> it's just like, hey, that's, that's what I got. I'm stuck with it. And there's like, I can't afford plastic surgery. So like, this is what I got. <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it's become just like accepted. Like that's, that's something you just got to like live with. And I want us to, if, if we leave here not knowing anything else today, is that no, that's not the life that God has for us. Living anxiety-free is possible. And it is the inheritance that God offers us. It's what he gives us. And so really, there's this, the number that you should be aiming for is zero. But God wants us to be anxiety-free. And that's not to say, like, you know, any of us are going to get there 100%. I'm, I don't want anybody to feel condemned or not acknowledging this is a journey and a process. And we were weak and we have challenges. And yes, that's important to realize. And we're human. But yet, at the same time, God offers us freedom from anxiety. And that's what he wants to lead us into. In Isaiah 26.3, God says this. He says, or Isaiah says this about God. He, he says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So, the more we know God and trust God and our minds are set on Him and trusting Him, the more peace we experience. But living without God lives to, leads to anxiety. I think that's really, if you look at what is behind all the anxiety in, our, anxiety in our culture, that's the bottom line. Like we're in a culture that has said, hey, God needs to be separate, separation of God. And everything else, separation of church and state, which really means, like, don't bring God into the discussion of public discourse in our lives. Like, that's irrelevant and not really important. And so we, the more of a materialistic, secular, humanist type of culture we live in, that humans were not made to live like that. We were made to live in relationship and dependence upon God. And removing him inevitably leads to huge levels of anxiety. Over 100 years ago, George Mueller said this. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. That's good, huh? The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. So we're going to look today at the most well-known, well-loved passage in all the Bible about anxiety. It's in Matthew 6. This is in the middle of the most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5-7. through 7. There's a whole section in here talking about Anxiety. And um, so we're going we're gonna to talk through Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Um, and then we're going to look at a couple other just verses that, that talk about this too. So, but in this, Jesus lays out how we can be anxiety-free. How you and I can go through our days being free from anxiety, which sounds great to me. Um, so, man, take notes, get this. This, is, this really works. Like, this is God's path for us. So in verse 25, let's kind of start in the middle, and then we're going to jump back. In verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Don't worry about it. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Now personally, I got the second part better than the first. The clothes part, I don't really deal with that too much. That doesn't create much anxiety for me, but food, I mean, that's a whole other issue. Like, that's, that's something I tend to think is worth some mental energy. 
right there. Um, but Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about it. And again, that's, we don't have to be anxious. We can have an anxiety-free life. And I think about this, like, um, all the diets out there. We got, and all the dietary restrictions. I was talking to a friend who's doing the keto diet recently, so it's like low carbs or stay away from carbs. You've got, you know, avoid uh, lactose, lactose-free diet, gluten-free diet. We've got all these. If you're, if you're lactose intolerant, then you are looking at that label and, and making sure that you're, you're being very careful about eating lactose or drinking lactose because it does something bad to you. And there's like this militancy often, like, no, I'm, I'm going to avoid that. And that's really how we should see anxiety. Not as like, oh, it's a necessary evil or it's just part of life, but hey, if, that, if I am smelling that, something is out of whack. This isn't the life that God wants me to live. And why is that? How can I get away from that? So they, Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about your life. Life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. And he says, therefore, and a little rule of thumb, whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you want to go figure out what it's there for. It's, you know, therefore is always following after something else. And so we're going to backtrack to see what, how did Jesus set up this whole therefore, don't worry about anything. And so a few verses earlier, this is all flowing together. In verse 19, Jesus says this. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so he's talking about money here, and our treasure. And he's, he's saying, don't put your emphasis on worldly treasure, or money, stuff that's not going to last, but put your emphasis on eternal treasures, things that will last for eternity. And then he says in verse 22, this is really interesting, this is kind of Hard to, hard to understand at first. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay. That's, like I said, kind of hard. Like, your eye, like, your eye needs to be healthy. Or if or if it's unhealthy, it leads to darkness. What's that talking about? Well, here's a question I want you to answer. What do we do with our eyes? See, yeah, good, very good. It's not that hard. <laughs> I'm trying to scare you here, yeah. You see, um, or we look at things. The eye is what we use to look at stuff. And there's a principle. Um, actually, the, you, a lot of you have probably heard the, the phrase, the eye is the window to the soul. It's a common phrase. A lot of people think it's in the Bible. It's not actually in the Bible, but many people think it came from this passage because it's saying there's a connection between our eyes and our overall health, the health of our soul. And so you think, a lot of times I think about that, like you can look in someone's eyes and see what's in their soul, and that sort of seems true. Um, but it's also the other way, that whatever the window is letting in, whatever your eye is looking at, that is going to determine what's going on inside. And so, if we're setting our mind on, on money as our answer, if we're setting our attention on success 
as our answer, if we're setting our attention on popularity as the answer, those become, that becomes what comes into our soul, whatever we're looking at and focusing on. So really, this, the, the eye, it's like our mind's eye. It's our practical judgment. What do we value? What do we look at and say, man, my soul can't live without that. That's what I got to have. And usually we're not, like, we're not saying those words, but there's, it's the internal motivation of our heart. Like, what really do we believe that we have to have? What does our soul say, I got to have this? And if we look at our worry, again, this is all tied into the worry. Like, what, we're worried about something, and it's connected to what do we really believe that we have to have to be secure, to be happy, to be whole. And so Jesus goes on in the next verse. He says, no one can serve two masters. Actually, that word, when it says, if your eye is healthy, literally that word healthy means single. It's the opposite of double. And it, it's the idea of something that is unfolded or undistracted. And so it's, if your eye is healthy, it's an eye that's only looking at one thing. And it's looking at the right thing. Not being double-minded. And so Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. A lot of times we're in that place. So we're singing, all hail King Jesus. And then we're like, oh my goodness, how am I going to pay the bills? Man, I got, if I only had enough money, that would solve all my answers in life. That would really be, man, that would take care of everything. And so we're saying, man, well, Jesus is the one. But then we're also like looking to, to something else. And in this situation, he's talking about money as a thing that we oftentimes look to as our source of security. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here Jesus lays it out. That he says, you know, the first thing I want to talk about today about being anxiety-free is we have to esteem the right thing. We have to esteem or give value and trust to the right thing. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. What are we esteeming? What are we trusting in? What are we looking to? We could say that about success or popularity. Um, whatever it is, that you can't serve two masters. It's going to be one or the other. And it's when we're esteeming God above all else that health comes to our soul. Um, yeah, is this making sense to you guys? This is kind of, this is deep. Jesus is deep. Um, you know, you think about what does our worry reveal about us? Think about what you're worrying about. What does that reveal? I think it oftentimes reveals what am I putting my trust in? What am I esteeming as the thing that really matters? It's interesting that Jesus, he, was, he said, hey, don't worry about food or clothing. We're like, most of us, like, that's not in, the number one, our concerns, a lot of us are like, you know, that's okay, but what about my house, and my career, and this financial need, and this desire, and that one? It's funny how Jesus, like, breaks it all down, like, hey, you got food and clothing, you're going to be okay. Like, that's really, like, I want you to be free of feeling like you have to have all those other things. Set your mind on me and trust me for those things. So esteem the right thing. Um, what is our worry revealing about us? Um, you know, it's also interesting that Jesus, he, he said, he didn't say this about anything else except money. He said, you can't serve God and money. He didn't say that about anything else. 
I think that's because money, and literally that word money is, is the word mammon, and mammon was an idol. It was a, a spiritual power. It was a false god. And, little alert, it still is. Now, those same like spiritual forces are still at work in the world today. There are still spiritual powers trying to get us to trust in mammon instead of God. And so God said, hey, you've got to realize, you can't, are you trusting in mammon or am I trusting in God? Um, all right, any, any thoughts or questions about that? You guys are all looking at me like you're deep in thought. It's usually a good thing. All right. Um, let's, keep on, let's keep on going here. Uh, back to verse, back to where we, were before, where we were before, verse 24, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than they? Okay, hold on to that thought. That's, that's how God views us. God's taking care of birds that aren't working. They're not striving. They're not worrying. They're being taken care of. And God says, hey, you're much more valuable than they are. And then he says, um, can, you, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Second thing I want to talk about, about being anxiety-free, is realizing not only do we have to know what we esteem, but we have to realize that we are esteemed by God. That God cares about us. And that's one of those, like, oh yeah, that's like shallow Sunday school. Like, God loves me, but no, like really our anxiety stems from a place of not being sure that God cares about us. Isn't that true? Like, we're not sure. Like, oh man, I have to take care of this and I'm on my own here. If I, don't, if I don't figure this out and be smarter and tougher and work harder than everybody else, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. But when we know that the God of the universe esteems us, that changes everything. In, uh, in 1 Peter 5, 7, we're told to cast all our anxiety on him, on God, because he cares for us. Cast our anxiety, that means when we're anxious, here's the strategy. Throw it to God, because he cares for us. And I think, if, if I was thinking about this, like if someone, if I got a knock on the door, and Warren Buffett was at my front door, and Warren Buffett said, hey, guess what? I just, I've been looking for someone to just be gracious to and generous towards. You guys know who Warren Buffett is? Like one of the wealthiest people in the world. <laughs> And I just, I want to pick you. I want to take, I just, I like you. And I want to take care of you. That would do something to my soul. And that would be good. That would be good news. Like, hey, Warren Buffett's looking out for me. I'm going to be okay. And we have something even better than that. 
God who made everything, who owns everything, he cares for us. And that's, that's a lot of the battle is, is knowing that and walking in that and living in that. And God, you are for me. You are with me. You care for me. Um, the, the, I read this recently. There in, about a thousand years ago, there was a, a, a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux who was a, a saint, a holy man who lived in France. And he wrote this book called The Four Degrees of Love. And four levels of love. The first level, I'm just going to walk through these real quick. first level is self-love. It's loving yourself for yourself's sake. That's kind of, we're all born with this level of love. Like, we, we all, we love ourselves. Like, in the sense that we, we want to, ourselves to be taken care of. And we're looking out for ourselves. We're looking out for our interest. Um, this is what's called selfish love. The second level of love is loving God for our sake. This is what's called dependent love. This is where we love God because of what God does for us. And this is good. I mean, God does a lot for us. And so it's like, God, wow, you are good. You're generous. You're taking care of me. God, thank you for what you do for me. This is, this is the second level of love. The third level of love is loving God for God's sake. Um, and this is when you're, it's not just what God can do for you, but it's who God is and really appreciating him and recognizing who he is and loving him for who he is, not just for what he can do for us. Um, this, is, this is intimacy with God. And then the fourth level, I would not have predicted this. In fact, if I was Bernard, I would have switched three and four around. Um, but there's a reason it, they're still talking about this a thousand years later. So he's probably got, I think he's on to something. Um, but he says the fourth level of love is loving yourself for God's sake. Loving yourself for God's light, sake. And this is what is called being united with God's love. And what that is, is like having such a sense that, no, God really, really does love me. God, like, he really, like, I, I know that he loves me, and I am living in that place of security and trust of, of his love for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm accepting that and living from a place of confidence and security because I know he's with me and he's for me. Um, that's... According to Bernard, that's the highest level of love. And I think it's on to something because that when we come into that place, it's a place of, of peace and security and really being able to just fellowship with God and interact with him and believe him in a way that when we're not in that place, when we don't know that we're loved by God, we're not really able to live in that. So anxiety is, goes away. Like when we're in that place, when we realize that we're esteemed, then we're, we're anxiety-free. Third thing I want to talk about is being anxiety-free is changing who we're praying to. Just read that verse, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so that's bringing, when we're anxious, it's not just like pretending it doesn't exist or not dealing with it, but saying, God, I'm stressed out about this. God, I give it to you. I can't tell you how, I've, I, how often I've done this or do this because there's just, that's how life brings stuff at us. And it's amazing how I was just saying, okay, God, this is real. So I'm stressed about this. I don't know what to do about this. But God, I give it to you. I cast it to you. Oh, man, it's, it's so good. 
It, it takes care of it. Um, but before we do that, we're, we're worrying, and my favorite definition of worrying is self-prayer. Worry is really praying to yourself. You're like thinking all these thoughts, and oh man, how's this going to happen? And it was as if like the more we just like think about it and try to figure it out, and like we're we're worrying, but the only person to help us is ourself. We're it's self prayer. So changing who we're praying to, not praying to ourselves, but praying to God and bringing it to Him. Well, it's it's so powerful. In Psalm sixty-two eight, the psalmist says, "Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge." Pour out your hearts to him. Now, God, I like the fact that God already knows what we, what we need. He knows what we want. But he likes it when we tell him. He, he likes it. And you know what else? It also helps us. I, was, I don't know how many, if any of you have read the book by Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled. But he's a best-selling book. It was written about 30 years ago, 30-plus years ago. He was a psych, psych, uh, psychologist, a counselor. And... The one thing I remember from this book more than anything else is he's, he's basically advocating for emotional health throughout this whole book. Advocating for people dealing with what's going on inside and working through it and getting to a place of emotional health. And he's talking about getting counseling to help in that process. And, but he said that when people start meeting with a counselor, they start getting better almost immediately. They almost overnight, they start to feel better about life. And within a month, like, there's some level of improvement, improvement in their emotional well-being. And Peck says, this is very interesting because for the first four to six weeks, the counselor isn't giving them any advice. He's not giving them any feedback or direction. He or she is just listening to them. Just like trying to figure out what's going on and giving them a chance to get their issues out on the table. And there's something so helpful about that very act itself, about just taking what's going on inside and communicating to someone else who's going to listen to you. That, that in itself helps you start to get better. And so that's, we need friends like that too. Um, but ultimately, that's how God made us to go to him. That we can get it out, bring it to him. And that helps, and then not only that, but he answers, and he, he meets us where we're at. All right, back to Matthew 6 here, um, verse, verse 31. This is where he gets, I think this gets really interesting here. He said, God, Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Again, hey, God cares. He knows. He wants to take care of you. He esteems you. But then he goes on. This is very interesting. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Remember our question earlier, is God's provision conditional? Well, it's kind of a trick question. Because on the one hand, no. God is willing to give to us. He's a gracious God. His love is unconditional. He, he, he loves us because of who he is and his, his choice of us. He wants, he's willing and ready to provide for us. And he provides for everybody. You know, he provides. The fact that we're living and breathing, it, 
Every human being has received so much of God's provision. It's the reason we're here. But there is a but. Jesus says here, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. So that's conditional. There is a, hey, if you want to really live in the fullness of not having anxiety and the fullness of the life God created you for, there is a condition to come into that. And that's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's, it goes back to, like, what are we setting our eye on? What are we esteeming? What are we valuing about everything else? Are we seeking first his kingdom? And so what I want to call this is, is lordship when it counts. Lordship when it counts. What's the kingdom of God? Well, the Bible says a lot about it. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans, Jesus brought the kingdom of God, and that was where people were getting healed of their sicknesses. Demons were getting cast out. People were getting free. Um, The Bible says that uh, we cast out devils by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come with you. So it's where evil is getting pushed back. Freedom is coming. Healing is coming. Life, righteousness, peace, and joy. It's God's, the way, what God wants to bring in the world, his better way of life and for, for us and for the nations and everything. It's, it's God's plan for the world. And that's all great. Um, but it also, kingdom, another word for kingdom is, is lordship. Or the idea, it's God's kingdom is where he is being lord. It's where he is the one who's in charge. It's where he's the one who's calling the shots. It's where he's the one we're bowing our knee to. And a lot of times we're all like, yeah, I mean, I love the idea of God's kingdom. But it's when God crosses our will. Where it's like, hey, God says, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to give here. I want you to follow me here. I want you to do this where it's scary, where it's risky, where it's difficult. It's interesting, this whole chapter, this whole passage, it's in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and what it looks like. And you read through that, it's so stinking radical. Like, the whole, it's all about love your enemies. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If your enemy hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek as well. Wait, seek first the kingdom? I'm not sure. How about, like, someone does me wrong, like, I want to make sure they know what they got coming to them. That's more like, that's justice, right? But that's not the kingdom. Jesus says, hey, if someone asks, if your enemy asks you for their, your coat, give them your shirt too. Wait, man, I thought, like, I need to teach them a lesson. I need to teach them, like, how to be responsible. You know, it's this whole, like, kingdom life is radical. It's, it's generous. It's giving up our rights and all, the, all that stuff and for a higher way and a place of trust in God. And, again, this whole thing, it's, I can't take away from this whole passage about worry and anxieties, and it's all set in this context of money, one of the biggest causes of anxiety in the world. And so um, we, we have to look at that. And I, I think about this, is like when a lot of times we think, I think, okay, God, if you, let's just take like a financial situation. God, if I think, like, God, I want to be generous. I really want to be generous. I really want to put you first in my finances. And I see people that are, that are generous. 
And I want to be like that. And so, God, would you just, like, increase my finances to this place where I can be generous? Then, if I get to that place, God, I want to be generous. But that's not how God works. He says, oh, no, be generous now when you don't think you have enough. And that's going to break the back of that mammon in your life. Put God first in your finances right now when you don't think you have enough, when you don't know how it's going to work out, when things are tight. Look at the Old Testament in Malachi 3, the famous passage about tithing. God's speaking to his people, and he says, hey, you've you got holes in your pockets. Like, you, everything that you're doing financially, like, it's not working out. And he says, this is why, because you're, you're robbing from me. You're not putting me first with your tithes and your offerings. So you look at, what were those people supposed to do? When were they supposed to start putting God first with their tithes and their offerings? After God fixed things? No. Right then, they were to turn away from being selfish and Jesus not being Lord in that part of their life. They say, okay, God, we're going to start. The first part that we get, it goes to you. You're first. And I don't know how it's going to work out, but you're going to make it work out. And that's, that's how God's kingdom works. Seek him first. Not just in theory, but in the places where we don't know how it's going to work out. And I'll tell you, that's, living like that takes away your anxiety. It's funny. But when we say, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you. And this is kind of crazy. Like I'm gonna, when, I, when I get financial increase, I'm going to give to you first. And then I'm going to trust you to work things out. It is so freeing. And God comes through and he fulfills his promise to take care of all our needs. And so this is true for money. It's true for our time. It's true for our relationships. It's, but it's lordship where it counts. Not just in theory, but in the stuff in our life where we're like, well, God, I don't really want to talk about that one. But no, how about this one? Trust, trust me in that, in that area. All right, last thing, um, be thankful. Be thankful, duh, because this is just kind of like, man, this is, this is anxiety so connected to thankfulness. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Paul's writing says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ah, so good. Don't be anxious about anything. Bring it to God in prayer and petition. Bring your request to him. And then there's that phrase, with thanksgiving. There's something so powerful about remembering what God has done for us and thanking him. And when we're feeling anxious, not looking at, oh, man, there's this problem, but looking at, oh, God, you're good. And I thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for my relationships. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for coming through for me last month when I had that situation. I didn't know how it was going to work out. Thank you for all this. Thank you for setting me free from my sin and my addictions and saving me. Oh, God, you've been so good to me. Now, you can't do that very long and have anxiety still in your heart. It just, like, crowds it out. And we can not only be thankful for what God's already done for us, but also be thankful for what he's going to do. God, you're good. I know you're going to take care of me. I know you're doing it. I know how you're going to do it, but God, thank you. Thank you, you're that kind of God. And as we do that, anxiety leaves. All right. Got one more, uh, a couple questions for our tables. Before we go there, any questions? 
or just like, man, this really, this is, this really stood out to me. This is something that hit me this morning. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's the, like, your eyes set on different things. Like, God, in this, it's going to not being stayed on him. Yeah. That's good. AJ, do you have a... Say that last part again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's really related to what a lot of what we're talking all summer about being in tune and honest with what's going on internally in our hearts. And a... A, a response that is like, hey, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't have, have anxiety, so I'm like, no, I don't have those thoughts or feelings. Like, that would be an immature, unhealthy, religious response that wouldn't be what God has for us. So it's, it wouldn't be good to be like, oh, we're not supposed to have anxiety, so oh, I'm, I'll just like pretend like I'm not feeling those, sort of s- squash it. But instead of honestly going, you know, I do, ha- I do feel this way. I am stressed out about this situation. I don't know how it's going to work out. And I feel overwhelmed. And being honest with that, but then taking those feelings to God and praying to Him, talking to Him, maybe journaling. Just, okay, God, this is what's going on in me internally. I'm scared about this. I'm nervous about this. I don't know how it's going to work out. God, I want to pour out my heart to you and trust you. And it's amazing how many of the psalms, that's exactly what's happening. Like David's dealing with his enemies and his thoughts and anxiety, all that. He's coming to God. And then usually by the end of the psalm, his perspective has changed. And he's praising God and worshiping him. And God's done something internally. So is that, does that make sense? Is that your answer to your question? I think it's interesting what you said about it is an opportunity for, to be a witness to bring God's hope to people around us to, to show that there, this isn't the way we have to live. And not to be like the judgmental Christian, like, oh, you shouldn't have that, but to be compassionate and understanding, and oh, I, I understand, but God has helped me so much in these areas. I know he would want to help you too. I think that's really powerful. That's good. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So true. Yeah. It's not the problem, isn't that we have it? It's that we hold on to it and don't toss it to him as we have it. Yeah. Good. All right. Um, anything else? Okay. Oh, Demoris. Yeah. One more. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, that's good, yeah. Everybody hear that? Um, yeah, because you're like, it's easy to be anxious if you're just like, hey, I'm just going to like be a bum and not do anything. I mean, <laughs> at least for a little while. It's interesting, Rob just sent something my way this morning that he had just read about procrastination is often a symptom of anxiety, that we're anxious about something and so we just don't deal with it, actually. So it can manifest in that we can procrastinate or we can, like, strive in our own strength without trusting God. Um, so I guess my thoughts to that would be there's... There is a difference between anxiety and just a, a healthy sense of responsibility and can care about people that we're serving or helping or the, the tasks that we've been given that are important to do. And so having a sense of responsibility is a good thing, but it doesn't need, but it's when we, but it's also easy to feel very anxious as we're carrying out those responsibilities. Um, so guess my thought would be to be really looking at, okay, what are the responsibilities God has given me? Is this something, like, am I seeing this as from God and a way to serve him and be faithful to him? And in that, not get rid of the responsibility, but look to God for his help to have the right mindset, to have joy and, and faith and perseverance and energy and love in the task and the people we're serving. Um, and trusting God for his help while still carrying them out. So I think, yeah, that's, and sometimes that, you know, while you're, that, that can be a process of walking through that, but definitely, like, following God, you're good, we're, we have things to do and responsibilities, and it's, be, God wants to be able to do those without living in anxiety. I love that about Jesus, I was going to say that, but you never see him, like, he had stresses, he had so many responsibilities, so many people looking to him, he had an agony of the cross. I, that's very intense. But you would never describe him as an anxious person. He was with all that pressure, but there was something internally so different about him, and that's how he wants us to live, too. Cool. All right. Um, let's just look at this one question around our table, which is this one. What would, uh, we'll have it on the screen, what would lordship where it counts 
look like in my biggest area of anxiety? So this could be like in a place of responsibility or just this thing that I'm really anxious about. What would it look like for me to practice trusting God and living out his lordship in this area where it counts? Um, so let's do it like this. This is less of like let's talk to one another. Let's take like two minutes and just... I don't know if we have any background music, but if not, pretend there's nice background music playing. Oh, or somebody can hum. And just think about that for you. Okay, just even like think about that if you want to write it down. What would this look like in my life? And then um, what's my action plan going to be for that? So take like one, two minutes, do that. And then if anybody wants to share, we'll have a chance for that before we, before we wrap up. Ready?